Good day, nerds. This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. Today's episode features a chat with Jessica Hendry Nelson. We're talking about her book, Joy Rides Through the Tunnel of Grief, that is available now. Um, and that is a memoir. So during this conversation, um, it was so enjoyable to really just kind of get really deep into what she had been experiencing and why she brought the story to the world. We get into about, you know, motherhood and uh, struggling with the road to motherhood. And also uh, we talk a lot about mental health and how important it is to just be upfront and destigmatize and uh, get whatever, use whatever tools you need to, to um, handle everything that you need to handle. And so, but I'll let you guys get to it. Here is Jessica Hendry Nelson. Okay, today we've got Jessica Hendry Nelson. We're talking about Joy Rides Through the Tunnel of Grief. That book is available now. Um, Jessica, I just, I'm, I'm always appreciative of like how, you know, vulnerable and authentic the writers allow them to just, you know, and so um, I appreciate that, you know, you putting yourself out there and helping, um, you know, readers with similar experiences kind of like, help kind of process that as well. Um, and, and we're gonna, we're gonna get into it today. <laughs> great. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really great. Really happy to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Um, so before I started, can you give like along if they haven't read it? Yeah, I think so. It's a hard <laughs> to summarize. Um, so the book is, it's a collection of essays. It's a memoir and essay form. And each of the essays is interested in a really big question that was, that was generated, um, mostly by what, you know, my husband telling me about three months before our wedding that he, he didn't want to have a baby, um, ever. And, you know, I was 33 years old and, uh, 15 years and had to really wrestle with that. You know, I'd had a lot of ambivalence about kids. I think I, I have a daughter now and I think I still have a lot of ambivalence about kids, but um, that juncture in my life prompted, started to prompt these essays that asked big questions about what it means to be a creative person and um, how we contend with grief and creativity at the same time, how we use wonder as coping mechanism, as a way to understand or articulate grief anew. So each of these essays is asking a question along those lines, but through a different experience, through a different lens with different characters. Um, you know, essentially it's asking, you know, can, I wanted to know if I could satisfy my creative imperative, that creative urgency by making art instead of people. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and, so, and, um, and so I sort of went in quest of finding the answer to that. But of course, as you're writing these essays, you know, the life changes and so too do the questions, you know, so after my husband and I split up, that was a, a period of deep mourning and uh, that changed the nature of the questions. You know, I wanted to, I started noticing that the grief process was a lot like the creative process. And so some of the essays are about that. So it spans about 10 years and, and asks questions that all, you know, are interested in that, that same juncture. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had no idea that that um, spanned over 10 years and congrats on, yeah. Having a baby, having a child now. So. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Well, the book's been out. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so did. Okay. And then, yeah, so you still married him, right? Because I guess when when I um, 
when I was reading it, if I can remember, I think I was under the impression that he said that after you had already married, not while you were still engaged. So then no. you still went through with everything and trying he to hope that you were going to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the time, you know, it, it became to, to me, it felt like a simple equation. And the equation was this, you know, do I leave this love in order to have the opportunity for a new love? you know, whatever that love looked like. And I couldn't, I couldn't square that. I couldn't make that make sense for me mm-hmm. at that time. And so we didn't split up then, you know, we we got married. I convinced myself that I was okay not having a kid. I was pretty sure I only wanted one and I'm still pretty sure of that especially <laughs> now after having one. And, you know, and so, and so we did, you know, whether that was the right choice or the wrong choice, I, I don't know, but, um, but yeah, we got, we got divorced a few years later, two years later to be exact. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I commend you cause I know, like, I understand that it's, it could be really difficult to, to go through with that. Like just divorce in general, splitting up in general. It's a lot. It's a process. It's a lot of work. It's um, there's a lot of moving parts and um, you know, I'm, I'm married. I don't have personal experience, but just from what I've observed um, it's so, yeah, it could be like really difficult, but um, I, you know, all the credit and power to you for, for, for lack of better words, like sucking it up and making it happen. You know, like you just <laughs> had to, you had to do what you had to do. Well, you know, I mean, the interesting thing about divorce, I think, and you know, any, would, uh, any sort of rupturing of like a long-term committed romantic relationship is that you know it's it's as profound as death but we don't have a cultural framework for that outside of like Stella getting her groove back or going on girls trips or you know there's no sort of ceremony you know culturally to mourn your your broken heart um and so we have to invent these anew and divorce especially still carries with it, you know, all kinds of taboos, especially as a woman, especially as a young woman. And so that, you know, it's, I think it's, I don't think we talk about that grief enough. Mm. I don't think we talk about, you know, how that changes a person and, you know, and also how it shifts your entire sense of self. If you've been in a committed relationship for a long time, you know, how much you're of your identity is wrapped up in. Well, yeah, you kind of like grew up with your, yeah right like there's in the span of 15 years and i'm just guessing if you're getting married at 33 like that's a whole decade plus of growth like i'm in my 20s i grew i'm just thinking of like i'm in i'm 36 now but i'm like yeah i'm a different person than i was 15 years ago and i've yeah exactly and i yeah i've been with my husband i think about 14 years been married for nine um so yeah i mean it's we got two kids so it's funny when you say that you're you're still you think you only want one because we i have two little boys and um people ask like you know i i personally i didn't i never saw myself as a mom i never really wanted kids and you know for lack of better words first child was not planned he was a surprise um and then the second one we wanted to give him a friend so it was like (laughs) so now you know and so now i'm like people are like well you're gonna have a third i'm like i don't know i need more time like i don't (laughs) because they're like six and in almost three and so they're still like you know young and and i'm sure you know how old is your daughter then she's only four months 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're still, so maybe that's part of my, my commitment to just one is we're still in the throes <laughs> of infanthood and yeah. <laughs> and like the, the newborn days are still very fresh in my yeah. mind, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, you know, and I'm sure you get unsolicited advice all the time. My only word is, you know, take it one day at a time, just take one day at a time because once they learn, it's like you, you level up when they level up. It's like, once you, you've narrowed down a skill and you're like, yeah, I got this. Then they like learn how to do something else. And then you're like, oh shit, like now I got to learn to deal with this new part of their, their development. So, and I, I, from what I've heard, it doesn't, you know, it still happens when the kids are are teenagers. So it's like, (laughs) That is the, that is the one truth that I have found. You know, the moment I think I got this, I know what I'm doing. Okay. I know how to mom now. And, you know, she completely ruptures that for me the next day. So I believe that. (laughs) I believe that. Just kidding. (laughs) No, I'm doing this now. It's this other thing that you have to worry about and shift and adjust to. And, but it's, it's so much fun. It's also so much fun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> that's like the positive spin on it. Like, no, it's fun. Like, <laughs> it's so, well, I don't think we talk about that enough either. You know, I think that in our effort to give women a space to talk about motherhood in all of its honesty, exactly. Yeah. We sort of took an, an overcorrection to the extent that, you know, we're not having any conversations about how joyful and ecstatic parenting can be, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, cause obviously it's not all like, you know, sunshine and rainbows, but that's like part of it. I think that's just when you hit those two, that, that extreme of like the negative, the struggle, the frustration part of it, that's like helps you appreciate like the super positive parts even more. It's like, yeah. it's, it's just this roller coaster of like yeah. emotions and challenges and excitement and experiences. And, um, I think one of the, statements that you wrote in in your um piece is that i think it was something like i don't know why it was like it hit me but it was something along the lines of you know i i couldn't like i can't like something that i i'm able to experience i i want to like i have this ability and i want to do it and i'm like i've never i've never looked at it that way you know it's like because you, you you know there's people who struggle with infertility and and things like that and it's yeah it's kind of like a different perspective on it. We're like, well, no, I've, I've been given this gift to this ability to, to create life. And it's really hard to not, to not fall, to not do it, like to not no. experience, yeah. you know, to not experience something that I, I am a- able to. And it's kind yeah, of an available experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives uh, that perspective of like, you know, trying to appreciate what you have, you know, like in terms of what your body can do versus like how many couples out there, like just struggle for, you know, years and which brings out a whole another handful of heartbreaks, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have many, many friends who have struggled, are struggling. Um, and I think at that time I didn't, I mean, I didn't know if I would be able to conceive. I, you know, I just, all I knew was that, you know, there was this spectrum of experience and I, I wanted to at least try, you know, I wanted to try to have that experience because it was, it was something, it was part of the human experience, you know, and, mm-hmm. and in the absence of like other ways of, you know, sublimating, you know, yourself, I'm not religious. I don't believe in God, you know, but I knew that I could, 
I could multiply. I could make a person, right? And that to me was the closest, you know, I could right. like do drugs. That's like, I guess another way to do it. Or, or, <laughs> you know, I could make a person and that seemed like the best way to, I don't know, transcend myself at the time. It is. It, it's like the human experience. That's, that's, I feel like one of the more understandable ways to put it, like in, in words, if you can, it's just, yeah, it's, Kind of like I I like to tell people, like I used the term earlier, like leveling up. It is like expanding your, uh, it's just a new level of, of being a human. Yeah. You know, it's, and then so people choose to not go up. (laughs) They choose to not uh, approach that or, or, um, you know, I don't want to say accept the role, but they choose not to go for it, you know, which is so totally acceptable as well. (laughs) There are other ways, you know, to grow as a human being. And uh, this is just one of them. I just was kind of sick of myself and (laughs) (laughs) so just multiply, right? (laughs) So just multiply, make more of me. Um, And, and no, I, I think that there are other, there are certainly other ways to grow and evolve and change. Uh, this was the one that felt to me like it, it had the most opportunity for expanding my sense of the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you've written several pieces before, right? Like you have a tendency to write, um, you did write a memoir before, correct? And then mm-hmm. your other types of work, are those also kind of like essay, like personal essays and or letters or are those um, more so like, have you ever done anything like uh, fictional? Yeah, I've written fiction. I don't write a lot of fiction, but I'm working on a novel now, which is okay. really fun and a new challenge. I really... So far, I've written two essay collections and I wrote, I co-wrote a textbook on creative nonfiction and I love the essay form. You know, I love nonfiction. I, I think that there's, it's such a versatile way to work. And I think of, I think of essays as not, you know, they're, I think one of the biggest misconceptions about memoir is that it's navel gazing or it's me focused and you know, actually like anyone who takes, who reads good memoir, you know, knows that it's, it's actually not, it, it, it involves lived experiences, but the, the concerns of the work are much larger than, than the writer. Right. And so, and that way it's, you know, it's similar to fiction. It's similar to poetry. You know, there's, there's really bad memoir out there (laughs) and there's also really bad fiction and really bad poetry, really bad everything. Right. (laughs) And, and so the essay form to me is like the, the most authentic way to ask big, bigger questions, you know, and, and to do that in a way that's digressive and research focused and involves personal experience and things with stakes and things that matter to you and to the people that you know most intimately, you know? Yeah. So I'll always write essay, you know, for those reasons. Um, and you get to use, you know, fictional techniques. You get to use the craft of poetry. You get to, you know, you get to make use of all of that is in your toolbox. But it's been nice to work on a novel. I, You know, in some ways it's... It, you know, you can approach it the way that I'm approaching the novel is is similar from a craft perspective um, to essay writing, and that it's it's just a format through which to ask bigger questions. Um, so we'll see how that turns out. Could be yeah. a total disaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I was I kind of like to ask authors this if they tend to like branch out or if they're doing uh, multiple works, as if like 
you know, in both like your entire collections or stuff that you've contributed has, has that, like um, prepared you for, for the um, joy rides piece or, you know, were there any big lessons learned or things that you were surprised to learn about yourself about this process? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, I, I had to, I'm always learning how to be an essayist. I'm always mm-hmm. learning how to essay. And, you know, this book was, um, you know, it took me a long time to write. I wrote it really slowly and over a long period of time. And um, I think in that, in that way, you know, I was, I had written a book of essays. I've written countless essays, but, you know, each, each book, each project, you have to relearn how to do this thing, you know, and, and to do it in this new way, that's exciting to you now. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe that's the thing that surprised me. I think, you know, going into a second project after having already published a book of essays, you know, you, one could be seduced into thinking that they know what they're doing. <laughs> and the truth <laughs> is, I didn't, you know, I had no idea what I was doing which is actually great, you know, because if I felt like I knew what I was doing, you know, I would probably be doing the same thing over again. But, you know, I, I I had to, you know, I had to relearn how to do it. And I had to do it in a way that was like, that, that met my own creative and intellectual concerns as they were evolving, you know, as Mm -hmm. I, as I was evolving. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you want to challenge yourself, because if you're not, you know, having fun, your readers aren't going to, yeah. Not going to have fun either. They're not going to ha- be interested if you're not interested. And if you're not surprising yourself, you know, there's no discovery. You know, if there's no sense of discovery, then what's what's the point? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm all for that. That's why when I, you know, when I speak to authors who are like, they always like to do a little something a little different with each thing that they publish, or like they try to push it, you know, challenge themselves. I'm like, no, you gotta, <laughs> you yeah, gotta do yeah. that because to keep honing in on your craft, and then you know, a decade down the line, you could you could see your growth, and and you'll be glad for like the little struggles that you encountered, you know, here and there along the way. But kind of piggybacking off of something that we're you were mentioning earlier, this project, I imagine it was therapeutic for you to an extent, mm-hmm. right? Like, did it affect like after after all was said and done, do you feel like, you know, it it changed your grieving process or your creativity, your creative process and like going forward, how you're, you know, if you ever have, <laughs> now that you're a mom, if you have time to like kind of consider other things that you might want to work on besides like your next project, like did it, did it kind of, you know, if, if you're, because I know you, you talked about the struggles with your, with your dealing with your loss with your father and also your brother too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of reconciling that with, you know, the love that you still had and like what you wanted to still produce and, and kind of channel that and navigate that. Um, did this pro did this project like help that? Like, do you feel like you're, you kind of have like a new outlook or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think you could write anything and not, you know, anything worth your time and not emerge different, you know, there's, we're meaning making people. Right. And so the minute we take like all of this experience, which, you know, the experiencing self is like, you know, we become overwhelmed by the the chaos, but when we commit that to the page, you know, that, that is what good therapy does, right. It takes chaos and it turns it into a cohesive story that makes a kind of sense, yeah, um, and so that is true of 
poetry, it's true of fiction, you know, it's, it's anytime we take something that is amorphous and feels urgent and turn it into something that to me, you know, the, the ultimate catharsis. So in that way, you know, I think that what it best prepared me for is this next phase of my life. You know, I, I, I very much needed to wrestle with that and to ask, you know, certain questions of that time and of the self, the self that I was, who I, who I was at that time. Um, and, you know, and use that as an opportunity to envision a different kind of future and to be at peace with that different kind of future. Right. I mean, I, even though essays ask big questions, I don't know that you find answers, but you do certainly reposition yourself to the questions or, or are able to articulate the questions in a new way. And the essay becomes the record of that journey. So, you know, I changed, I evolved, I, you know, and it doesn't mean that I put anything to bed necessarily. I didn't answer any questions, but, but I'm recapitulated to them. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, it's kind of like, you know, when you experience something so devastating like that and we don't need to like compare uh loss, but I'm thinking like, cause with one thing I did, um, you did kind of mention is like, what kind of traits would you be passing down to your mm-hmm. um, children? Because, you know, considering that your both your father and uh, your brother kind of like, it was due to like substance abuse, right? Mm-hmm. Like an addiction. Mm-hmm. And so I, I definitely feel like you absolutely have to find a way to navigate that to kind of like, try to forgive yourself before there's anything to be forgiven it's kind of you know it's like because i you know i i there's mental uh health issues run in my family and i'm glad that i'm at a point where like i've kind of got a good handle on it like i use like, all the tools that are available i kind of realized that you know because like i have two boys and i'm like okay like i am worried that what you know what's gonna what what yeah. traits are gonna you know familial hereditary things are gonna pa- be passed down to them and one of my um, therapists, she made a good point. She was like, you know, uh, you can't like be afraid about that because, you know, you're, it's just almost the same thing as your kid being susceptible to certain illnesses because of your mm. DNA or, you know, it's not necessarily like only the mental health issues. Like, you know, your kid could be uh, prone to like, you know, really random, but like, a you know, sun rash, things like that. Like it's, oh. it's things that are unpleasant, but it's like, you can't let that make you feel guilt right like you can't be so worried about that because it, it's yes it is a concern but it's legitimate concern but it's also there's like other things that they that they could get from you that are gonna be just as you know like a challenge at times to deal with and so something like that when you know it, it was really um helpful because then i kind of got like you know and i think uh, you know as long as we kind of keep that conversation open and just like normalizing it instead of like mm-hmm. being secretive about it. Yeah. Cause I, yeah. like my, my son's asked me, I was like, mommy, where are you going? I'm like the therapy. I'm going to go talk to a therapist. He's like, what's that? I'm just like, well, you know, I'm going to go, um, you know, when I'm having a hard time, I I'm just going to go talk to someone about it. And he's like, oh, yeah. okay. Like, and it's just like, and they, they kind of just like, oh, okay. And then they, they move on. Like it's, and well, that's and the I, great thing, right? It was like, they inherit that. You know, they inherit, of course, you know, they have the, the, the possibility of inheriting certain predispositions. Um, but the other thing that they inherit is like this new openness that I think, mm-hmm. you know, our generation is raising our kids with, hopefully, you yeah, know, and yeah. in ways that like just weren't, certainly weren't available to my 
parents, you know, perspectives, therapy, discussions of mental health, you know, the, the, you know, just the idea that like going to therapy might be this taboo, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, we've largely dispensed with that. And so that's the other thing they get to inherit, right? Is this much healthier approach to actually dealing with mental health. Exactly. Rather than, you know, pretending it doesn't exist. Exactly. Like, yeah, I'm not trying to, cause it's it's like, what am I going to tell them? Like, I'm just disappearing for an hour. Like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but yeah. And I, I totally appreciate that. Um, you know, that I can just, cause I, I've said with my family members, I say it like with my friends, I don't care who knows that I, that I'm like, do these things to take care of myself because it's available to me. And it's like, once I started, you know, taking charge, I was like, Oh, holy shit. Like, why didn't I do this earlier? Like this really isn't that, this isn't that bad. And it's super helpful. It's like, it's, it's, you know, and like, yeah, exactly. Like you said, like if they kind of grow up and, and they kind of like identify themselves uh, where maybe something's not right and they will feel open talking about it. And that's like half the battle, I think, you know, It absolutely is, you know, and, and, you know, we all have mental health, right? And like, so some of us choose to take care of it, like you do, you know, your physical health, and and some people don't, you know, and, and so, you know, that should be celebrated. I can't wait to tell my daughter about therapy. Therapy. We all go to therapy. It's wonderful, right? It's a wonderful thing that we can all do to take care of our mental health. And seriously, we no, should that's all exactly be doing right. It. I know. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't, it doesn't, there's a whole like spectrum of it, right? Like you could just, you can, maybe you just need a little unpacking every now and then, or maybe you got some more serious issues where you like identify a trigger and you're like, why is this a trigger kind of thing? Yeah. You know, it's like, it, it can, it's just like falls all along that same line. It's not, it's not as big a deal as like you think it is. It's like, no, yeah. Like you just, you're, you got a headache, you take some medicine or, you know, you broke your arm, you go to the hospital or you go to the doctor. If you, you're not feeling well, same thing. Seeing a specialist, if your brain is like, you know, if you got some shit to unpack, it's. Yeah. 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 That's what they're there. That's that's the doctor for that. Right. (laughs) For that. Um, and the, and other things too, you know, that's just one way to contend with mental health, but yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, yeah. So I'm just like grateful. I mean, it's like, it's a long road, but you know, just, I'm always going to be like an, a strong advocate for stuff like that. And that it's just so important that, yeah, like there's no stigma attached to that. At least not, you know, at least hopefully we could slowly dwindle it down. Like, right. like you know, that's like understand it. that you're not like, you don't want to like you know, ex- you know, expose yourself to the world, but it's okay to like, be like, well, yeah, I'm trying this out kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, I'm yeah, really so. heartened. You know, I teach college and, and so my students are Gen Z now oh, and yeah. <laughs> I'm so heartened by them, you know, because they are so open, so much more open than I was at their age, you know, and because they've a lot of them, you know, have had the opportunity for therapy, mental health help, you know, they're just more sophisticated about it and don't have a lot of that residual shame that, you know, I certainly inherited from, you know, the generations that came Mm -hmm. before me, you know, just, and, you know, my parents for sure, but, you know, also just culturally, you know, that, that was the context through which I lived, you know, was, was, you know, therapy was for people who were sick and, and fucked up and, you know, and, 
everyone else, you know, didn't need to go. Yeah, and absolutely. What a mistake year- that is. I know. And I'm, I'm glad you like mentioned the cultural thing. Cause I, it totally is like a culture thing. Cause there are some cultures where they just don't talk about it. They just, yeah. you know, they just don't We're yeah. like, no, like what? <laughs> and it's, and yeah, and it's a shame. And it's like, I, I love that you mentioned also um the next generation. Cause I guess I'm a considered a millennial or like an older millennial. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, I, my niece, she is, uh, you know, she's 20 she's going to be 20. And so I think she falls in with the Gen Z and I, that's like so true. Cause they are so open about it and so vocal about it where, it doesn't cross their mind to like hesitate. It just, it's so true. Um, Cause my niece, yeah, she's going to be 20 and, and she is, I noticed that too, where she's just, she's more open and more honest and, and she's not, she's unapologetic and she does what, she, you know, she's honest with herself and honest with others about what, what affects her and, and that she can like take that strength and do what she needs to do for herself. Yeah. And so I, yeah, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but like, these Gen Zers, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not hating on them. I'm like, you know, you got, yeah. Like, plus we could go down a rabbit hole. Like they, they kind of got the shit end of the stick for, you know, a lot of things, but it's the fact that they could just like take those experiences and, and that kind of positivity comes out of it. I, I just, I love that. Thing that they did get too is they got a language for it that I didn't, I mean, I know I didn't have growing up, you know, they have a language for, they have a mental health language, they have language for things, you know, that relate to like, what makes them feel good, what doesn't make them feel good, what makes them feel safe, what doesn't make them feel safe. And when you have a language, then you, you know, then that's empowering, then, then they use that. Um, when you don't have a language for it, like I didn't, you know, or, and I expect a, a lot of people of our generation, you know, that's where a lot of like sublimation happens into other things, you know, and that's one of the great benefits that Gen Z inherited, but you know, they're also, they're also mavericks in their own way. I think. <laughs> yeah. Really yeah, cool. absolutely. Um, so this next this is like a two part question. Um, what were the most challenging parts to write? And then what were the more, um, the most enjoyable parts to write? Hmm. Um, that's a great question. <laughs> you know, it's, that's hard to answer because I think for me, writing is, you know, it's all joyful and it's all challenge mm-hmm. and it's both at the same time. The challenge is not people ask questions about, you know, writing such personal material. And if that is particularly challenging and the truth is, you know, it's not because there is a kind of depersonalization that happens, you know, once it, once I commit, you know, certain experiences or, or scenes or ideas to the page, you know, they cease to belong to me. They, they're in this, you know, it's almost like this little trick you can do. They, they belong, you know, they're outside of me. And so I can approach that material from a writer's perspective rather than, you know, my personal emotional attachment. And so the, the, the problems that I'm wrestling with on the page are craft problems. They're not Mm. therapy problems. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that, that part is both the joy and the frustration and the challenge. Um, You know, every essay is its own, like sometimes it feels like a jigsaw puzzle to, to write these essays and, figuring out ways to solve that puzzle is such fun. 
you know, but also like any jigsaw puzzle worth its salt, it's also really frustrating at times, yeah. you know? So I guess yeah, that's I, honest I could totally that. see that. Like the part that makes it difficult, like challenging, that's like what makes it fun. That kind of gets your brain going. That gets, you know, mm-hmm. you really, that really is opening or giving you the opportunity to really just like really shine and be in your element and yeah, 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 yeah. get in the zone. Like, <laughs> so what advice, uh, if you feel comfortable answering this, I'm, I'm sure you do. What advice would you give to someone um, dealing with similar experiences in terms of like either going through a divorce or also like, well, that, that loss, either going through a divorce or losing someone or, or having a family members uh, that struggle with substance abuse or mm. both. You can talk about both. I'm not really in the advice business <laughs> <laughs> and I try not to give advice because I don't know that, um, that I have any necessarily, you know, I, I, I have my experiences and I, I can say that, you know, the things that were helpful to me when I was, going through the divorce, for example, you know, were, um, things that also contribute to my creative practice, you know, like walking, walking in the frigid Vermont cold for hours and hours and hours, you know, became a kind of meditative practice, um, for me, which I, you know, I wasn't quite aware of at the time I was just trying to survive. And I just felt like if I kept moving my body, I couldn't, you know, fall down and die. So I just kept (laughs) walking, you know? But, you know, there is walking, you know, of course, is therapeutic. And there's lots of research that confirms that, you know, substance use, you know, the thing that I've learned most recently that has been really helpful for me is this thing called boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I had not learned about those. Talk about, you know, not having the language, right, that Gen Z has. So I had to recently put up boundaries with my with my brother, which means, you know, I'm not in communication with him right now. Um, because he's not sober, you know? And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's, but that took 25 years to come to that fortitude, to come to that, you know, to be able to, to do that um, and realize that I didn't have to keep going through the cycle with him, you know, and as devastating as it is, as much as I want a relationship with my brother, uh, I can't, I can't have one. I can't, you know? And so trying to, you know, be in relationship with him is, is just breaking my own heart over and over again. And I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that to my daughter. I couldn't, I don't think I, I felt once I got pregnant, like I wasn't going to be able to uh, ride the waves of his addiction and also mother her in a healthy way at the same time. And so it felt less like a decision and more like necessity Um, so, you know, I don't have much wisdom surrounding those things, except, you know, ways of, of, you know, turning them into something generative, right. And that Mm -hmm. just is like time and paying attention. I write a lot in the book about, you know, wonder and about, uh, anticipatory grief and how, you know, anticipatory grief really created, an atmosphere through which wonder became more possible for me because I, I lived a lot, a large part of my life. I mean, really all of my life with someone who was always just about to die, you know, first Mm. it was my father and then my brother. And, you know, when you, 
when you move in that space all the time, you know, that's a lot of, that's a lot of stress, but it also means that you can either become despondent at that and, and come undone, um, which I've done many, many times. Right. Or if, you know, when I'm doing well, I can find ways to channel that energy into something generative, you know, to pay better attention to what's in front of me, to feel more gratitude, you know, for, for what's here, for what I have, for, you know, the small moments of joy that I get to have. And and that's when it, you know, that's when I'm doing well. Right. So I think that there's possibility. I think that there's possibility in grief, great possibility. You don't emerge from a grief experience unchanged. Mm -hmm. And I think the question is just, how are you going to change? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that (laughs) advice of like, try walking and try putting up boundaries. I think those are perfect. (laughs) Those two things. Very practical. Seriously, perfectly (laughs) legitimate not impossible, totally doable walking, you know, it is, it's productive. You're still, your body's moving. You're getting the blood flowing. Yeah. It's like, it's still, there were times like I, you know, I was dealing with um the loss of my niece the earlier this year, she took her own life. Unfortunately, she was oh, 23. Just, yeah, oh. it was really rough. Um, But, and then my therapist, she suggested like, you know, cause I tend to, you know, I don't consider myself abusing substances, but like, you know, sometimes like I'll drink or I'll, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll get high just to like, just as as a force of habit, maybe like, and maybe it is like a way of coping. And she's like, I suggest that you refrain from doing this and just like, allow yourself to feel. And when things got tough, I straight up, I was like, I need to go for a walk. Like, I, I don't know what else to do with myself right now. Like my, she like, my therapist said to feel I'm going to go feel and walk like where's the dog right. let's go like I and it's it's so true it's so true that that is such a legitimate like you know substantial productive way to just um figure something out like when you don't know what else to do you know and the whole What's boundary that? thing I can't you know I have family members who I've had to do that with and I, I there's still that guilt like I do still kind of feel guilty because I'm like I don't know maybe it's because I'm such a people pleaser but I'm still like at the end of the day, I'm dealing with my own shit. I don't have time for like the mental exhaustion that comes with like walking on eggshells or you yeah. know ant- anticipating, um, you know, a verbal disaster. You know, it's yeah. it's just you gotta do. You at the end of the day, you gotta look out for yourself. And if you've, you have to make that. Like it takes two people to make that effort in that like dynamic. You know, it's like you can only do so much. And and. Like, I'm sure you did. It's, it's just like, yeah, you had like, and ba- boundaries are healthy. Like you can make healthy boundaries and for, you know, to, to look out for yourself, especially since you were um going to be a mom. It's like, then it's, it's almost like a game changer. You're just like, mm-hmm. you know, I can't risk it. I can't, you know, I got to do this. I got to be, I got to be in it. And yeah, so I, totally, I had to yeah. show up for her in the ways that, you know, we're going to help her, you know, um, but yeah, I think that that's really, I think that that's really smart, you know, learning to establish ba- boundaries and realize, you know, that they're, um, they're actually useful for everybody, right? You know, like that kind of, you know, enmeshment that happens in certain toxic relationships, whether they're yeah. romantic or family or, you know, that, that story will persist, that dynamic will persist unless somebody changes something, you know, and so, for 
my relationship with Eric, you know, he w- it wasn't going to change. He wasn't going to, he isn't changing. And the only thing that would change would be my relationship to his behavior, you know, so I, I get to control that. It's the only thing yeah. I have control over. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a good point of identifying what, what you can do, you know, right. cause right. it's, yeah. Cause that person has to want to change for themselves too, or they have to want to put in the effort and it's, it's like, if they don't, then, then you kind of have your answer, right? Like, or even if they want to, and they can't for whatever force is greater than them. I don't know. I can't pretend to know, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I do believe that Eric very much wants to change and the cause of that is, but um, I do know that I have control over how I react to it. And that is through a lot of therapy. (laughs) Yes. Hands up to therapy. Um, (laughs) So uh, Jessica Hendry Nelson, you kind of talked about this earlier, the next project that you're working on that you could talk about. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a novel. It's, it takes place in Atlantic city, right outside of Atlantic city in a little town called Margate. Um, and it's, it's dealing, it's takes place during 2012, which is a really pivotal time in Atlantic city. And when Trump was sort of wreaking havoc all over mm-hmm. that town and, you know, it, it deals with a pair of sisters who are living in community with other locals and how each of these characters, you know, reacts to, responds to the pivots that happen in their community. You know, these are people who, you know, we don't seldom pay attention to because it's such a glitzy tourist town. Um, so I just, I was really interested in not the tourists, but the people who stay and what it means to be a person who stays all the time in a tourist town and how, mm. you know, that, how they evolve in a kind of community together. So that's, that's just a little, a little snippet and we'll see how it evolves from there. <laughs> that's no, that's great. And that's, um, I'm excited for you that you're, you're, you're going for it. Cause that's, right. <laughs> I imagine it's a little bit outside of your comfort zone. For sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but also because of that, you know, it becomes like a, a cooler puzzle to try to solve. So it's, yeah, it's fun. Right on. So where can we find you online and on social media? Yeah, my website is jessicahnelson.com and Instagram jhnelson427. And I guess the new threads thing um, is the same, jhnelson427, Facebook. That's it. I don't do the Twitter X or whatever it's (laughs) called now um, or TikTok. So those are the spots. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Um, well, Jessica Hendry Nelson, uh, joy rides through the tunnel of grief. Thank you so much. I, you know, I felt like we could have, we could have gotten even further into it today. Um, so, but I, I appreciate this was such a good conversation, really enjoyable. And if, you know, when you get that, um, fiction piece off the ground, you know, feel free to come back. We'll, we'll chat about that too. I would love to. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay, there you go. That was Jessica Hendry Nelson talking about her memoir, Joy Rides Through the Tunnel of Grief. That book is available now. Follow us on social media, The Nerd Cantina and Cantina Book Club. Check out the show notes for links to find her also on social media and where you can purchase the book. Rate, review, subscribe. 
If you're looking for any book recommendations, check out my book reviews on theirncantina.com. And if you are, you know, really liking some of the books that you're reading, go ahead and hop on over to Goodreads and Amazon and give them a rating and a review. It really does help the authors out. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening.